Hey everybody, welcome back to Lower Chat Live, uh, episode number 15 this year. We have some of our regular, uh, now a regular, Eric Van Johnson, we have Matt Lance, and we have the regular old Riz here in his new office. Um, we apologize again for not being consistent with our live episodes, and um, it's something we are working on fixing, maybe once we get out of all of these deadlines we have, have to um, focus on right now. So today, one of the things we, or two of the things we were going to talk about is um, we wanted to talk about the new bot that has been added to LaraChat named Eve, and there's a GitHub repo that we can all contribute to, and we'll talk a bit about Eve and what her goals are. Um, the other topic is going to be with regards to um, what do you do when you are in a job that you do not like? How, how do you handle it? How do you, what? When you throw in the towel, what, what are things that you can do to improve? And we'll, we all have thoughts about that and what we can do better. Um, those are two topics. And uh, so welcome, uh, Eric, Matt, and Riz. And eventually, if he comes online, uh, Matthew, the creator of the eBot. So um, I'd like to hop over to the news. I don't know if we have any news that uh, some new items that have been coming through the pipeline in the last little while. I know Laravel News launched a link section, which is actually looking really awesome, where people can post Laravel-related content onto Laravel News, and it will be aggregated into their system there. Um, any other interesting news that has been coming out in the past couple of weeks? Okay. Have we talked about Vue 2 yet? That has we have you know have we talked about that yet? Which topic? Uh, no, in the news, view version two has been released. No, it's no longer. I don't think we've gone into that. Um, why don't you tell us a bit about it? Well, uh, I think it's probably the only important big chunk of news coming in from the last couple of weeks. Uh, Vue, the popular front end framework that Laravel now comes quote unquote bundled with, not a requirement, but it's there as part of Laravel starter kit is now in version two. There are some breaking changes from version one. Um, as far as I remember, it removes some of the old like two-way bindings and stuff. Uh, uh, two-way bindings, but only with child components. There are a few things you need to sort out if you're migrating from one to two. It's not 100% backwards compatible. And we think that Laravel, uh, that view two is going to be the standard going forward from now. A lot of plugins will have to be rewritten. There's a new engine. There are things set up for the server-side rendering, lots of cool, cool new stuff to check out. So check that out. Uh, view one will still be in support for another year, I believe. But if you're making a new application, go ahead and get started with view two. So I know one of the things about view two, when I talked to my JavaScript friends, is they kept uh, pointing to the virtual DOM that mm -hmm. View 2 is using. Does anybody here have any experience that can explain the benefits of the virtual DOM and why that's, supposedly that's one of the things that makes it so much quicker? Yeah, so um, I believe it's because View 1 used a, okay, let's get back to that in a moment. I can read up on my notes now because I was doing a huge View 2.0 migration. I'll get back to you on that, but it's actually a really interesting subject. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, no big deal. Like I said, it, that's the one thing that all my JavaScript buddies always says. Yeah, that virtual DOM is, is big. It's it's a speed thing and it's a consistency thing because it means it can it can do things ahead of time and it can cache stuff better and it can accelerate them in ways I don't even understand. But yeah, I'll get back to you on that. Sure. Laravel uh, Forge News? 
Yeah, the other thing I, uh, we talked about last week on our show was uh, Laravel Forge released a bunch of uh, new features, and I guess to help kind of keep the the customer base up to speed on what's happening in Laravel Forge, Taylor also released a uh, blog, a developer blog for Laravel Forge. So now whenever there are new features in Forge, they do articles on this uh, Laravel Forge development blog. It's kind of cool. I'm not a big Forge user myself, but it's, uh, it's a nice way to stay up to speed on the services that are being offered out there. Well, that's actually one of the reasons why I like that new, uh, the new Laravel News Links thing, is because it's kind of a nice little tool to keep that feed going too, in terms of like new stuff that's being released to the community and things like that. Mm -hmm. I, I was wondering if, uh, <clears throat> well, I thought it would would have been nice if there was some sort of voting mechanism on those links, so that good good links could be bubbled up to the top a little higher. Um, the way it's set up now, I'm, I'm a little concerned that people would just, like, I haven't submitted any links because I don't want to junk up the, the feed. Uh, I'd rather have curated lists or at least links that have been kind of voted on by the community and said, hey, this is actually a really good article. Everybody should go read it, as opposed to every time somebody writes a blog post, they just put a link out there. Well, it is a curated list right now. And the only reason I know that for sure is because I, I posted a link today for, uh, for Laracogs, my one package. And um, I, guess, I, don't, I don't know who's all in charge because I know there's Eric Barnes on it, but then I don't know who else is on the team to delegate that stuff. But uh, it took like, I don't know, it was like an hour later or something like that. I got a message saying, hey, it was approved. So, oh, okay. So somebody is looking at these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is a, like a... a uh, what do you call it? Yeah, it's a monitored list. Mm -hmm. Still, be nice if they threw some like Reddit voting on there. That'd be nice. Yeah, <laughs> or even because like one thing I noticed that that was actually I don't know if I want to say concerning, but it, it's I don't know how I feel about it. it. When you look at the the actual list of them, uh, you get through the first I don't know like twenty four or whatever of those links, and then it's you know older links, and it's like well, right. you know, but which ones are maintained, right? Because if a package is being thoroughly maintained over time, to me, it deserves to stay kind of towards the front. Like there's mm -hmm. going to be people posting packages on there that it's like a day later like, or six months later, they've never touched it again. And exactly. That, yeah, yeah that, that kind of bugs me because it's like, you know, the intent, I, I would have assumed the intent was to kind of, you know, uh, promote the sort of packages they're going to get or, or, or articles or whatever. The stuff that's actually going to be more relevant. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe we should reach out to him and see if that's something he's thinking about doing or not. Yeah, it would be a handy thing. Yeah. Well, beyond that, um, <clears throat> there are a lot of other things going on in the community. Uh, but uh, one thing I did do is I, I wanted to talk a little bit before we get into our topics about um, a fellow named Edward Finkler, and he has this um, his, uh, open sourcing mental illness. And I've invited him to come on to a future show and to talk about you know mental illnesses in the developer community and one thing we can do better as a community um, of, to support other developers who, and one of the things Edward said, I think it's one in four developers have uh, mental 
sick ability to which one of you guys did it. Actually, no, I'm, I'm not allowed to ask that. Sorry. Uh, but uh, regardless, I really want to have Edward come on to a future show. So I thought I'd try and preface that or, and, you know, something we will talk about. Um, let's get into our first topic. Uh, we, we wanted to invite the bot creator, uh, Matthew Davis, I think his last name was, to talk about Eve. Um, I don't want to say it's the official Lara Chat bot, but it's one that is open source and it's open to the Lara Chat community to contribute to. It's based in the PHP based bot. Um, and one of the things that we started doing was creating uh, issues in GitHub to, to start, you know, uh, putting together planning for like maybe um, a bot that an XKCD bot, you know, that, that comic, and um, someone could, instead of us using one of our integration slots in Slack for purely that that command, we could have E go and get those comics, or if we wanted to, we could even create a command to say Eve, uh, Lara Chat Live, and it would return some data about when the last show was or when the next show is, if, you know, we ever did that. But the, the point I'm getting at is that's open to the community for people to contribute their uh, ideas and, and make this bot something that's kind of, um, I don't know, what something big. Um, so it's out there. I uh, don't know what else we can really say about it, but you know, check out check it out on GitHub. And we'll tweet out the link in a in a minute and. Um, you know, check out the issues, add some issues, some ideas, some thoughts, help create some PRs, and let's, let's actually uh, work together as a community and make this, this uh, an awesome bot that we can uh, use as a community. And if any of you guys have any uh, ideas that we should do, we should add to Eve, you know, love to hear it. Do you want to talk about why it exists in the first place, John? Sure. Do you want to? Why don't you uh, preface? <laughs> I have, I, I've been so entangled in this in the community. The problem is, as I'm sure many of you are aware, is that we have limited uh, history on Slack. So we've have been having issues recently with keeping things under control. We also have we also have limited limited slots for integrations, and people love Giphy, but I don't I don't know why. And it doesn't give the right results like 99% of the time. The 1% of the time it does get it right. You try to get it, it fails. So we've been trying to find a way to consolidate different kinds of logic. Uh, for example, to document. For example, one really cool thing we've been trying to do with a bot, and Eve is not the only bot, by the way, on Lara Chat. But I'll explain that in a moment. One thing we want to do is implement functionality like save this conversation for the last ten minutes, and then it'll make a gist or make a dump of the conversation, or it'll say upload this snippet to to gist, and it'll make a snippet link. And generally, it's there to help us be more consistent with our conversations. Another big criticism of Slack's platform in general is its ephemerability, I guess. Like, you don't keep stuff. If one stuff is on Slack, once it goes away in two or three days, it's gone. There's no way to search it. There's no way to save it. So, yeah, we're going to try and build clever bots around that idea. Now, Eve is one bot. She's written in PHP. So, PHP Slack bots. Uh, you can see the repository for her. Uh, you guys asked for it on LairChat. There is another bot which is in development called Liz, which is in TypeScript, not currently hosted, but 
that's also an option. If you like TypeScript, go with Liz. If you like PHP, go with Eve. And honestly, it doesn't really matter what you go with. I hope both of them will have future parity in the long run anyway. So we're hoping that having these bots alive will help us keep things under control because people have been complaining about, I can't find my conversation two days ago. So we're going to have these bots you know, keep track of things. Uh, we've had issues with people asking the same questions repeatedly when they could just be documentation answers and people can be asked to go and look up documentation. So yeah, that kind of stuff. And yes, feel free to PR and create issues because we do want to make these quite a bit more flexible. There's a lot to do. You don't really have to know about how to write Slack bots in PHP. I know it's a bit weird. It's not the same kind of programming as you'd program for web applications. But if you have an issue, just post the issue and somebody will make it for you, I hope. Uh, Definitely. I, did, I didn't realize about, um, I heard about Liz, but I didn't know too much about it. But yeah, there's no reason why we can't have these two bots. Um, we can beat them against each other and have like a, a whole war going on, <laughs> although it might not be the best idea. One thing I'd actually love to see from the bots in general, I, I don't even know if it's really doable. It, it'd be something worth tinkering with, but I think it'd be like amazingly cool is if uh, let's say you're in the questions channel, for example, somebody comes in and asks a question, but let's say the bot's been monitoring questions that have been asked before and can actually say, Hey, wait a minute, this one's similar to one that was asked like a year and a half ago. Maybe you actually want to look in this direction sort of thing. Cause to me, then, then it's actually like a machine that's actually making a real useful purpose, right? It's thinking for you. Now, see about that. There were there were ideas to make a Slack, okay, to make a forum that integrates into Slack. And what you do when you save a topic in Slack is it creates a thread in the forum, and the forum becomes the source of truth and the archive in a way. But you know, it's a lot of work. Maybe we'll get there. I I I think we can get there. It's not that hard. A little bit of machine learning, a little bit of natural language processing will get us there. So you want to write that code, Matt? All right. <laughs> oh, I'll take care of that. In my, I'll do that with all the spare time I've got. I'll just. It's I'll like just, a week, right? Yeah. Well, I've got, I've got, uh, I've got this one right here, which I've been <laughs> crawling through, and uh, and then I got, I got this one here, which I'm crawling through, and uh, I, that's so ironic that these are like right in front of me right now too. <laughs> that's, couldn't be better. Um, no, I've been, I've been like. I've been fascinated and, and really deeply interested in all the different integration tools and packages and stuff that are coming out, the, like especially over the longest while now, especially since uh, Laravel 5.3 now has the, uh, the, the notifications component. And so I've been spending a like, ridiculous amount of time with uh, Pusher and all that. So actually getting all of those integration layers to work together and then working with JWT auth systems in relation to pusher notifications coming in and out of a Laravel app. Like, uh, it's pretty magical in a, in a lot of ways. We'll have to talk about that, Matt, because um, as, some people have been, as some people know, I've been talking about moving Laravel to TypeScript, which makes all this stuff a lot easier. So OK, now that's the talk for another day. I'm not going to open that conversation. People are going to start hating on me. so. Carry on, Sean. Oh, we have Matt. Oh, hey, the bot creator, Matthew. And we just finished the topic. <laughs> How's it going? So, um, yeah, we, we talked a little bit about the bot and opening up issues and, and 
providing PRs and so forth. Um, I'm curious about your thoughts behind the bot, what's your reasoning, what's your goal, where do you want to see this go? Um, yeah, so I, I think I, I'd really like to see it become useful. <laughs> um, you know, the, really, um, I want it to, I guess, make the the um, the process of you know finding documentation or you know looking something up or needing any kind of you know information like to see it make that easier for for everybody um and i think it's good as well that you know we're, we're kind of welcoming contributions from anybody in the community um so you know it, it's it's one of those things that if anybody wants to see it do something specific you know it's it's cool um you know submit a pull request <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the bots. Uh, I've been playing with them and coding a few for a while now. I I, I use Hubot a lot, which is a, a node-based bot, and I'm definitely not a JavaScript developer, so I kind of hacked my way through it. But I've managed to make a couple of uh, functional plugins to it that do things like look up uh, our meetup times and things like that. I'm, I'm really excited about a bot that's written on a platform that I actually have my head around. So uh, I'll, I'm, I'm going to dive in there and, and see what you got going on. It, it should be fun. Yeah, definitely. That'd be, that'd be cool. I think um, there's, there aren't many examples of writing, you know, a Slack bot in PHP. Um, that's one of the reasons that I kind of, kind of did it. Um, you know, and obviously we're a, we're a PHP community. Uh, it, it makes sense to have a bot that everybody sort of, you know, is already familiar with the uh, the underlying tools. Totally, yeah. I actually like um, telling people, not telling people, like suggesting people to try out writing Slack bots in PHP because there aren't very many uh, long-running processes in PHP in general because PHP was not designed for long-running processes like bots. You will have memory leaks out the wazoo if you write sloppy PHP code. If you try to integrate Laravel, for example, Laravel was not designed for long-running processes. It'll, for example, the DI container will try to keep spawning new objects, and those never get garbage collected properly for reasons I don't understand. But if running a Slack bot, it does force you to actually take care of memory. It forces you to take care of your objects, use a lot more conservative design, uh, design patterns. So if you have some spare time, I'd say it's a really good experience. It is a scary one because you'll be running a bot and suddenly it crashes out of memory two weeks later. But that's just the nature of the beast. Absolutely. You know, I, you know, it, it meant that I got to learn some new stuff. Um, so like you say, you know, having a, having a long running process, um, there's the, the React sort of event loop going on in there, um, which I've never used before. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting problem because normally, obviously, we're just dealing with one request at a time, and you know you, you get a request, it, it it happens, and that's it. You know it's over and done with. Um, whereas you know having something that's running as is as a long running process is uh, is unique, I guess. <laughs> yeah, garbage collection doesn't work very well, especially if you start using more complex patterns. It's an experience, I'll tell you that. <laughs> So 
I think now we should start talking about our second topic, which is um, an interesting one, which I'm pretty sure all of us have had to um, or, or have experienced with regards to uh, what do you do when you're in a job that you don't like anymore? Can you fix it? Can they fix it? Do you want it to be fixed? Like, I, I'd, I'd love to hear some experience, some experiences from the guys where they may have been in a job that they didn't like and what they did to either make it better or get out of it. And maybe a little bit of a retrospective of what they feel like they could have done better uh, now that they're out of the job, hopefully. Why don't we start with Matt? Yeah, okay. So, wait, which one? Me or, or Matthew? Uh, Matt Lance. The famous Matt Lance. <laughs> uh, so... Okay, that, see, this to me is a it's a it's a tough thing to talk about in, in some context because you, you obviously want to be careful with what you say. Uh, so I've had the luxury recently of going off to build my own company with my business partner, and uh, you know, for us, it's been incredibly exhausting, <laughs> and uh, there hasn't been any time for sleep or anything. But at the same time, it's been uh super exhilarating so for me the last time i left a company the primary reason to leave was to build my own thing and i've always found that the drive for me to leave a company starts with me feeling limited like at the second that i start feeling like there's a limit on what i can do um i, I usually go all out on the uh well find the next thing Well, you, I'm curious. I want to ask Matt a question real quick. Now that you are owning your own company, right? Doesn't that make it more awkward if any any change? Okay, say down the line, like like a few months from now, some developer you start hiring more developers, you start building more things, and then it starts going in a direction you don't like, but you're also the co-owner. And I think part of the problem there is you have to decide. Should I force my will on the developers and potentially make them unhappy, or should I leave? But your owner. So, what do you think about that? So, for me, um, the, well, the the option to leave is very slim, right? I mean, unless the company was so well structured and I felt good as a as a share owner to be able to say, okay, I'm going to step out of this role and just be more of a shareholder role. Um, that's one fundamental option but for me the big thing is like I, I try to make sure that I'm as open-minded as I can be and um, I, I like to you know if if there's a developer who has a different viewpoint than me why am I wrong right I, I want to know what their thoughts are and, and where we can go from there now if it turns out they are wrong and I'm right well then it, it's kind of like well I would hope that we've hired the you know sort of people who are open to you know learning on that side of things, right? But I guess yeah, it, it's it's all about keeping that open attitude of learning different different techniques and things like that. And then as a as a business owner, and that from that perspective, there's also the if it works and if the developer who's in charge of it is content with the way it's built, well then my viewpoint is it's that's kind of on their shoulders then 
And so if things start going, you know, off course, then it's their responsibility for it. But I've also, you know, from a high level perspective, I need to understand what it's doing too for, you know, worst case scenarios. But yeah, that's the game we haven't started playing yet. And it's going to be interesting when we start playing that game. I just find that an interesting subject because one of my friends is going through the same problem. Um, his PHP shop developer is suddenly, mysteriously, I like to say almost verging on probably sabotage. They're all switching to Ruby. And the 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 bigger guys up top, the managers, like, you know, you know, when people become better developers, they don't want to be developers anymore. They want to be the managers. They wanna they wanna go up in the tree. So the senior guys, they still love PHP, but the junior guys are like, let's start making things in, in Ruby. And yeah, there was it's it's a difficult subject because there's no real see, winner there, right? Go ahead, Eric. Well, see, there is though. I mean and that's a that's a whole different topic or conversation because that's where experience comes into play uh you know if they're a php shop they're probably a php shop for a reason their their tool structures is you know customized for php um yeah so if in <laughs> if the higher ups in the company are php guys and they're they're letting the the newer developers dictate the direction of the company that is just that's a bad uh that's a bad recipe, no matter how you look at it. Um, that's why captains lead ships. You know, it's you know, every every sailor on a ship, I'm sure, has an opinion on the best way to steer steer a ship. But there's a reason why there's a captain to find, and because it's the, it's that captain who takes on that responsibility and that ownership. And it's the same thing in these in these shops, no matter how big or small it is. Your management team needs to be the ones who ultimately have ownership. Um, we've released code that have been that has been problematic that I personally had never touched. I didn't do any of the coding, but again, as an upper person within the company, I take ownership over that code because you know this is the direction we decided to go and you know the overall architecture is the direction that we all decided on. Um, so that's a scary that's a scary recipe you're talking about there and whatever company that is, they really need to st take a step back and say, okay, who are we? Who's leading the direction of this company? And, you know, what's our ultimate end goal? And that's not to say that there, there aren't times to pivot. And we all, we are all, all very familiar with pivoting in our industry, but there has to be just an overwhelming reason, especially to switch out a platform, just such an overwhelming reason to do it. Um, that yeah just because you get somebody and i've i've seen situations like that where you get somebody fresh out of college just got their uh, uh degree in you know computer engineering and yeah they know this new technology they knew that know this new platform and it's going to fix every everything and they before you can have can say anything they're hacking away at a terminal um it's it's tough at some point some experience has to kind of bubble up to the top and and give some guidance. I, I think that's a good point, though. I'm going to interrupt you, Sean. <laughs> uh, I think that's a, a very good point. Like that, that, to me, is all built around the communication factor within a company structure itself. I think um, I, I've, I've seen a lot, anyway, in my experience, where there's a disconnect between 
your, you know, let's say, you know, for lack of better terms, it's called ground troops. So like your, your developers who are actually in the day-to-day -day tasks of building and writing all the code and you have your higher ups, like your CTOs and things like that. And a lot of times you see this massive disconnect between the two groups where, um, you know, your actual, like, you know, on the ground developers are experimenting with different technologies and different things. And they're seeing new ideas and new, uh, you know, solutions to problems and your higher ups are, are so disconnected that it, it becomes like this conflict between the two areas. Right. And, and so I think that's a major factor in a lot of companies in terms of communication is to make sure that, you know, if, for example, your you know, one of your guys is going to climb up the, you know, so to speak ranks, then there needs to be a clear distinction that, okay, from now on, they are only responsible for, you know, high level architectural decisions and things like that. And the languages of the platforms that are being used are up to the actual people writing the code base. Interesting. And, and this uh, <clears throat> particular subject of this topic is actually really hitting home for me because I was part of, um, I guess, you could say the higher up leadership team as a technical person in the company. I'm really trying not to give away too much here, but um, what ended up happening, we had, you know, a new guy come in and prior to my arrival, the company was a PHP based shop and hired me for PHP. And <clears throat> we're making our plans a projection for future development in PHP, Laravel, WordPress, um, Symfony, you know, whatever our project required. And then new guy comes in, starts uh, pumping the tires of, of Ruby and Ruby on Rails. And it's like, and, and that's, I think that's totally fine. I love it when new guys come in and they can say like, look, we got to check this out. And, and as a leader, senior person, it's our responsibility. The least we can do is listen and learn. And so I, I listened, I learned, checked out Ruby, and you know, Ruby's really cool. And I, I love that Laravel takes inspiration from it, and, and that, that's pretty cool too. Um, but what ended up happening was the junior person sold the CEO of the company on pivoting to Ruby, and the decision was made without any anyone else's any uh, senior person or even intermediate person, none of them were involved in that decision. We just came in and it was, oh, by the way, yeah, our next project is going to be in Ruby and we're going to become a Ruby shop over the next year. And it's like, wait a minute, we have all these people that are PHP experts and, and you just decided this out of the blue. And well, not a single person that was at that company when I was there, it's, it's there right now. Even that Ruby guy left. <laughs> But, but that's a lesson, I think, in terms of leadership in regards to being careful about how you take on these new languages and, and how you handle new technologies. You can't, it can't be a rash decision. It has to be a smart and calculated decision that you come in and say, Laravel is the framework for us because it does all these things we want to do and this architecture we want to follow or will be it for us because of these architectural decisions. And I think it's really important that that is driven by the people who are technical and understand it at that level and have that trust of the CEO. And 
I don't know what happened at that company to make it, it, it. I also know it was a startup and, you know, Ruby is one of those startup languages and, you know, PHP gets a bad rap from lots of things in the past that we can dedicate like 20 shows to, but we're not. Um, but yeah, that, that particular subject really hit home and yeah, I've lived through that and nothing good comes out of it in the long run. Because I think that's the fundamental part of the topic, right? If we're going to talk about how to leave a company if we're dissatisfied with it, one major question is, do you try, do you try to fight it or do you try to leave, right? That's a huge question. Do you, where, is the, where do you draw the line? Where do you say, I've had enough, I don't think I can change your minds anymore, or I think this is wrong and I have to leave instead of trying to change it? Because pragmatically speaking, with any change, there's always going to be that, that conflict, right? There's always going to be a little bit of fighting about whether or not people will go with it or they'll try to stick to what they used to do. So for, from the developer standpoint, it's all about how much are they willing to give up to change or to quote unquote progress. And for the managers, it's also a question of how much are they willing to push on their developers because they don't want to push the developers too far, push them too far and they might start wanting to leave. If you try to do anything too drastic, that stuff happens. So where do you draw that line? Where does a developer decide I'm just going to leave versus I'm going to try and fight and change things to fit how I think is better? I think, I think a lot of it is just the type of person you are. I mean, it's easy to go to a job every day that you hate and to complain about it and to despise it, but to get a paycheck. What's not easy is waking up in the morning and not knowing where your paycheck is going to come from. And... I, I see that a lot, especially with system admins. Not so much with developers, because developers, developers are kind of the cowboys, right? Everybody's always looking for a developer, and it's not. I'm not. I'm not, not going to say it's simple to, to jump from one job to another, but development is always something that seems to me in demand. I've seen system admins who just get their little corner of the building and despise their job, despise their work just leave me alone and let me sit here and sit here for eight hours, collect my paycheck and go home. Um, for me, I mean, I, I'm not that person. I, I've engaged uh, owners before where I've just said, you know, the company's uh, changed direction. And I sat down with them and said, listen, you guys are changing direction. I'm trying to mature myself and, and evolve myself and I don't see that happening with this new direction you're going, so I'm going to move on. And I, I've always been very fortunate in the sense that it's worked out for me, but that's just the type of person I am. I'm not going to go to a job that I don't like or I don't enjoy or, or you're constantly just going in and arguing with your boss or your fellow workers um, every day. But there are people like that. There are people that would rather do that and know that they get a paycheck and benefits uh, at the end of the week than try to make life easier for themselves. I, I don't know. I, I think a lot of it is just the type of person you were. I think I'll bring the question based on what you said there um, with regard to you talking to your, your management, your bosses, your stakeholders, or whoever they are, and saying, I'm not satisfied. And like you mentioned, it, it depends on the kind of person you are, whether you would go and say that to your boss. Um, I, I've never, personally for myself, I've never gone to a boss and said, hey, I'm thinking about leaving. I always have something lined up. And then I'll go and say, okay, you know what? I'm thinking about moving on and you know, 
and it's about the security. So I'm curious about you, you guys, if you are the type to be up front like that and say like, look, it's not working out. I'm going to start taking interviews. I'll be out of here you know, in a month, et cetera. Sure, if you guys have done stuff like that. Uh, so for me, because I'm, I'm just going to interject on this one. Um, I have done the, oh boy, what have I all, okay. So I've had the experience back in the old days when I wasn't doing coding, I was doing general contracting and stuff. I was laid off enough times to develop the relationship that uh, in a lot of companies, they are more concerned about their bottom line. And so you have to acknowledge the fact that, you know, for you, you need to be concerned about your own bottom line. And uh, yeah, so I mean, like I've never really gone to my bosses directly and said straight up like, hey, I'm gonna leave. But I more often than not will tell every coworker like, I'm out of here. I am done with this place. I am on. You, you just hope it bubbles back to your manager, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, of the times where I've gone in and finally said, like, oh yeah, here's my two week notice. They're kind of they're, most of the time they're like, yeah, we kind of saw this coming. I'm like, I kind of hoped it would be that way because, you know, what what are, you, what are you expecting? Like, there there's clear. I think it's very clear with a lot of developers and employees all like any any industry any career type when somebody's into what they're doing and when they're not into what they're doing and i think it's there's a there needs to be a or i think it's on the the management or the, their higher ups responsibility to be aware of when they're not into something right like you know, if I had devs working under me right now, I would be concerned if, if they were showing, you know, signs, especially over more than like a few days of real discontentment or disengagement, then that's that's a clear sign that, you know, something's got to change, right? It's kind of like the Steve Jobs thing where he's like, every morning I look in the mirror and he's like, if, I, if I'm not happy for more than X days in a row, he's like, I got to change something then. That's kind of the way I've always viewed things. What's that saying about insanity? And I can't remember. Feel free to shout out, guys. But the insanity is the definition of doing the same thing every day that doesn't make you happy. It's a it's insanity is is doing the same thing over and expecting a different outcome. Is kind of the definition yeah. of insanity. Yeah, yeah. Basically, real life is not impotent. It yeah. makes no sense. I, I have to ask at that point though. Um, where? I'm 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 considered a younger developer, and when I leave a place, I have this temptation to try to declare that I'm leaving early, not because for any particular political reason, but because I feel bad for leaving a code base abruptly. I don't want to leave a feature midway. I don't want to assign myself a two-week feature and leave halfway through. I don't want. I, I need to. I want to be able to communicate. Like during a standup, I'll say I'll only be here for another week. So. I'm only going to take, you know, one week's worth of features. And especially if you're like in some sort of operational position, like if you're a sysadmin, if you run a server, especially tiny companies where you have a position where you're, act well, when you have very small companies and you don't have a dedicated sysadmin yet, and you implicitly act as a, as a, as a, a sysadmin for say your mail server or your company website, like, isn't it safer to try and communicate it so you can sort out the kinks of the transition? Or do you think it's better just be abrupt and straightforward about it? Because I do know the problem with doing it early 
is that often companies will try to fight it. Companies will try to try and convince you. They'll try and negotiate. Some companies will try to punish you for doing that because they'll be like, you shouldn't leave us. And then we had an, uh, a situation recently where a developer wanted to leave and you know, we sat down and talked about it. What can we do to make, make it happen, make, make it better. Um, so yeah, there are companies that are going to, that are going to sit down and, and take a step back and say, oh man, what can we do for this person to make, make it better for them to make them stay? Cause obviously as developers, we, uh, retain a lot of knowledge about the product that we're building that maybe some other developers don't have or a new person coming in to replace you or whoever is leaving, that person does, may not have that intimate knowledge from the past. So I almost feel like it's a, a benefit for the company to try and retain employees when they can, if they can. But if they come in and say, hey, my mind's made up, here's my two weeks. I, I, I had a friend who did that and um, the owner of the company said, Hey, if we pay you more, will you stay? And he said, Nope, my mind's made up. I've moved on. But think, you know, if, if you have the chance to retain a person and they're important to retain, I think it's important to try and do what you can do to understand their point of view and see what middle ground can be found, if there can be a middle ground, before it gets to the point of where they say, I'm out, I'm gone, don't talk to me anymore, don't call me. We're, we're divorced, kind of deal. Yeah, no, I, I think I think you make great points there, Sean. Um, and, and that's the thing to remember is change is scary, and it's scary on both ends. And you don't always want it. I mean, there are situations where you have a better opportunity that you definitely want to move on to. And those are the situations where it doesn't matter what you're offering me. I want to move on to this next step, and there's not a whole lot you can do to retain it. But in situations that we're discussing where a person's unhappy with their work, whether it be the project they're working on, the people they're working with, the environment they have to, to manage, if that's the reason they want to leave, and you as a manager or, or an owner of a company, you obviously have a vested interest in that person. You've, you're already paying them money. Uh, they have a certain knowledge with them, as you mentioned, just from experience working in, in your company. So all the little quirks and weird things that are in your environment they understand if it's something that can be addressed absolutely you want to you want to address it because you want to make sure everybody is happy with what they're doing um and i agree with you 100 percent, sean it's your your homework as a manager or business owner needs to be up front i i always say that when we bring people on board it's almost like uh like uh, scouting reports in baseball. You know, we sit there, we watch their career, we kind of follow what they've been doing, we evaluate them before we even approach them to come work with us. Um, but once they've done, once you've done that upfront homework, you obviously want that person. So making sure that that they're happy, as as long as as long as it's reasonable, you know, it's like, you know, I want mimosas every morning when I come to work and it's kind of absurd. But if it's something simple, just, hey, I'm just not happy with what I'm working on and it's just a matter of putting them on another project, then why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you retain that knowledge? Yeah, I think for me personally, um, if it's got to the point where I'm actually considering leaving a company, 
um, it's probably too late for anything to change. Um, so over in the UK, I mean, I don't know, you know, where, where you guys are, um, but we we generally have like a notice period. So we'll hand in our notice um, and then you, you might have to wait a month before you can actually leave the job. Um, and within that month, it's really, really common for the, the company that you're leaving to give you a counter offer. So they'll say, you know, well, we'll give you, I don't know, £10,000 more or £5,000 more if you stay or or anything. Um, but the statistics are something like if you accept that counter offer, within six months, you're 85% more likely to leave your job within that six months. Um, <laughs> so, you know, a lot of the time actually trying to, I, I think employers panic when you say, you know, you're going to leave. Um, so they'll they'll kind of over-promise and under-deliver. Um, so, you know, rather than actually addressing the underlying issue, it, it just ends up being an empty promise, which actually exacerbates the issue further. You know, that brings an interesting thought that if you were to go to your employer and say, hey, <clears throat> I'm thinking of moving on or, or giving your notice, and they don't fight back, maybe... Maybe there should be some retrospective on your part. Be, hmm, why aren't they fighting back? Why am I not important enough to the company? And I always think um, self-reflection is important and to look into what you can improve personally. Uh, maybe there's nothing you did wrong and maybe they just realize, hey, the guy checked out or a girl. Um, it's time to move on. But I, I think it's important to, if you to reflect on that, just in case, you know, so you can take improvement to your next job and so forth. Yeah, I think uh, I completely agree with that. There's got to be a certain level of personal introspection on uh, on any moment where you're going to leave a company and say, like, am I being unreasonable or were they just being unreasonable? And, and you got to judge it that way. My biggest thing is that uh, as a new company owner, uh, my biggest thing is if somebody's going to leave my company for any reason my biggest thing would be uh a i want to get feedback on what we could do to improve you know if not for them for in general and b i'd want them to dump every bit of knowledge that they've got into documentation like tenfold and uh and i'd want to take away all or not take away but i, I take away all stresses for that duration of them being able to document things because of the things that I've ever encountered with companies, it's always a lack of documentation. And then it's when people are leaving, they get a handful of crap dumped on them at the last minute to try and fix this up in this last possible moment just before they leave. And then it's like, no, 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 no. Let them give back that knowledge that they've got kind of cooped up in their heads. But if you overstress people in that last little bit of time frame, right? I just it, you're it's making it even worse. So I think we're going to move off of this topic and get into our, our question and answer period with our community. Um, there's a couple of questions we have uh, from one of our regular watchers, Eduardo. Um, he asked, "What what what about uh, recognition from your boss and coworkers? Like how do you?" Let me read it here. How do you think not having recognition factors into leaving or staying at your current job? I think it's huge. A little recognition goes a very, very long way. 
uh, and, and this is to any supervisor out there that's listening to this conversation, um, it doesn't have to be a lot. Obviously, the, the bigger the recognition, the nicer, uh, especially if you can monetize it to, to some degree. But sometimes it's just a matter of acknowledging them in a group email, group chat, but letting people know when they're doing a good job just is monumental because once you have a salary and that's what you're making, that's all you're really working for at that point is to, to just kind of have that acknowledgement of, yes, this was done well. I think it's very important. It's always been very important to me. I don't think One it necessarily needs to be, you know, public. Um, you know, it doesn't need to be a public appreciation, you know, just, you know, even if it's just a one-to-one, you know, yeah, you know, you, you, you're doing a, a good job or something. It, it's important, you know, to know that you're doing the right thing for the company. My biggest thing is uh, even more than like a monetary uh, reward, so to speak, for, for you know, or, or uh, uh, goodwill act or, you know, whatever, is to give them a day off. You know, say take Friday, write open source for the day if you want, or or do something that you're going to have fun building and, and and experiencing just because, you know, we we really appreciate all the hard work and energy you've been putting into stuff. Like we want you to be able to feel good about yourself too, right? I love that idea. I mean, having somebody come in and just say, "Hey, we appreciate everything you've done for the last two weeks. Why don't you take Friday?" Come on into the office, but work on whatever open source project you want for the day, and and just you know that's our way of saying thanks. Uh, that's fantastic. I like that idea. So we actually do that every Friday afternoon. Um, so Friday afternoon is work on whatever you want to do. Um, you know whether that's you know it, it probably boosts morale tremendously there, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, even if that's just working on some random open source project or, you know, learning Ruby or whatever. And it means that once we're actually in the mindset of doing the work for the company, you know, we, we always know our, on Friday afternoon, you know, we, we can mess about with, with this stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's it's great. I also think it's important to point out, Sean, doing a great job with Laird Chat. I just want you to know that. Good job. Yeah. Take your Friday off, Sean. <laughs> if only, if only. We've got a beta deadline coming up, which is why uh, Laratap has been a bit sporadic. But um, the other question is, if you do something, something monumental that had changed the game entirely and all you receive is, a, okay, cool, pat on the back, um, how do you deal with that? As a per- as a, personally, how do you deal with that as a developer? So monumental, like really, this is the cap they have, guys. All right, I'll go first. I don't know of anything that I've directly done that's so monumental that this is just this game-changing thing. But I can say of the things that I've had, when there have been projects or or components of projects that I have really struggled to get through, and I and I'm feeling like that high of the achievement of getting through it, of cracking that thing, and there is no recognition for it. It's kind of a you know catch twenty two in a way because did I communicate that it was really as hard as I felt it was? Because how like how on earth would anybody even know? that I was struggling with it, right? I mean, they can't read my mind. 
And then the second thing is, is when there is no recognition for that achievement and, and the knowledge that I've spent, you know, you know, X amount of hours doing it, it that's, it's really hard to digest stuff like that. Um, I don't have like some foolproof plan of how to, you know, absorb those moments or, or handle those moments. But um, I oftentimes will just jump to the whatever community group I can and just be like, oh my God, I just did this thing. It's so cool, blah, blah, blah. And I'll, I'll try and share it with somebody who can at least try and connect with me on that level of like, hey, wow, that is really cool. And that would have been really hard to do. You mean you randomly messaged me on the chat at 2 a.m.? Yes. And stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, I, think, I think that folds straight into it, though, because I think programmers have a tendency to be cynical. We have a tendency to, to see something that looks cool, and we're like, there must be a catch. There has to be a reason this hasn't caught on, and this doesn't solve any problems. Because we've been there, right? We've been in that position so many times where we're trying to fix a problem. We think we have a brilliant solution, and then two weeks later, it all falls apart because of some little bug somewhere. So I think a lot of developers don't do those pat. They don't even pat in the back because they're not waiting for. They're not trying to pat you. They're trying to wait for this to explode. They're like, I'm going to stand back, and when this explodes, I'm not having any part of it because if you pat them now, and then they're going to feel too confident, and then it breaks, you're going to indirectly be responsible in a way. You're not really responsible, but that's uh, Dries, Dries, Lushan. I guess he felt like you weren't contributing enough to the show, and so he just left. <laughs> yeah, we talked about this, Sean. <laughs> Communicating. <laughs> uh, let's see if he comes back. Well, we are on QA already, the last stretch anyway, so it doesn't really matter too much. But yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, just recognition. I, I, I hear what you guys are saying. It's a, it's a hard one because. I mean, I know. I was just looking around my office here, and I have awards from a company I worked at, you know, five, six years ago, uh, still on my shelf here. And, I mean, it's just an award. It's like, it's nothing. It's it's a piece of glass that's sitting on a shelf that really has absolutely no meaning to anybody who were to look at it. But it, it meant a lot to me. It, it reminds me when I, when I look at it that, you know, I did something good for, for my company at one point. That's the I, same. I, thing. I've got two glass awards that you know sit on my on my desk. It's from a company that I was at three, four years ago. Um, you know, they, they don't mean anything, but it's not exactly. Nice you know, I have no awards. I am awardless. <laughs> I I have post-it notes and well, see so now like, you own the company. You can give yourself an award. <laughs> so I'll, I'll write on post-it notes. And be like award. I'll hang myself. That's a real thing, though, that I've heard of people say that about owning a company. They're like, oh, so I, I own, I, I'm I, the owner of this company now. Wait, I can't give myself awards. Who's going to pat me on the back now? Do we have Sean back? Sean, you're back. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> um, yeah, I missed a little bit of the conversation there, but let's, uh, let's go over to Riz. You had a, someone message you with a question. Yeah, um, I had a student actually message me about this, and um, here's a, here's just the question. I have to translate it on the fly. If there is a programmer who you don't like on the team, do you burn bridges and do you do you you know escalate it? Do you point out to your managers that this person is a problem? Because on one hand, you might wanna you know you wanna do a final punch before you leave, or you might want them to be dealt with so the other developers don't have to complain, or do you just silently say I've had enough, I'm leaving. 
think it depends what the uh, what the reason is that you don't like them. It's usually technical stuff, like when you're just about team teammates. Sometimes they'll insult you, passive aggression, just generally bad team team synergy. I mean, I I think it's person. You so you're saying you're leaving a company, right? Right. So uh, personally, I've always felt that it's perfectly fine to take that opportunity to point out strengths and weaknesses within the organization as you're leaving. Not necessarily burning bridges, but just having a very candid upfront, hey, you're not going to fire me now, so let me lay it out on the table for you. I think it's important that you keep that balanced, um, just as if my supervisor was talking to me as I was walking out. I expect a, a balanced evaluation of good and bad, but no, I don't think there's anything wrong with it at all. Uh, and some places might actually find it very beneficial. Yeah, I've, I've always been very, well, not very upfront, but relatively upfront, uh, like on exit with, you know, people who were, you know, fantastic to work with and people who may have not been the easiest to get along with. But I, I personally have always tried to kind of show like some goods and like pros and cons, right? Because ultimately the whole experience is never all terrible. Under no circumstances is it usually all a bad thing. There's lots of benefits to, you know, or, or there were good moments and then there's bad moments. And, you know, yeah, the more information, the better. Yeah, so I think it's important to be, sorry. Yeah, I think it's important to be honest uh, at, that, at that exit interview. Um, you know, certain companies that I've worked at, I've always felt like I can't really be honest about the the issues that they're having. Um, whereas, you know, the last company that I did actually leave, I felt like I could be honest. Um, you know, I mean, one of the things was I'd actually been given a raise and nobody had told me. 